as uh, talk with Randy, our senior pastor, a few weeks back, about a month ago, and uh, he began to um, ask me, you know, could we maybe get on uh, a book together, kind of both campuses start start preaching through a book together. And he threw out the idea of preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I was like, let's go. I've never preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's a book that often gets, you know, overlooked and kind of forgotten about. And, um, and so starting today, as I'm going to kind of try to give you a, a good introduction to the, to the overall theme and perspective of this book, starting today for the next, you know, however many weeks we go, we're going we're gonna to kind of work through the book of Ecclesiastes, and the title of this whole time, of, excuse me, of this series is Finding Meaning in a Meaningless World. Finding Meaning in a Meaningless World. Um, just by a show of hands, I'm interested, how many of you have ever heard uh, a sermon or sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes? Anybody? Maybe? One, two, three? Yeah, like I said, it's it's not as as common, um, and that's kind of that's one of the things that that I'm excited about. And I will go ahead and tell you on the front end, Ecclesiastes can be a very challenging book to study if you don't understand the context, you don't understand the the um, the perspective of the author. You can kind of read it and it may confuse you because you may think he's saying one thing one minute and he's turned around and says something different the next minute. And you're like, well, is that not a contradiction? Is, is that what he's talking about here? But I want to help you really grasp this book. And, and it has so much benefit. It has really so much practical application in our life today because I feel like, and I know and one of the common phrases in this book, and you, you'll hear it a lot, is that there's nothing new under the sun, and, and there's truth to that, you know, and I, I think sometimes we can look at our, our life and our culture and our generation today and be like, man, you know, man, these young people, they're just, they're a lost cause, you know, and you forget how you were in the 60s, right, you know, a bunch of hippies in the 60s, and all the, all the parents back then, what were they saying about you, man, these, these peace-loving hippie people, they're, they're just a lost cause, y'all turned out okay, right? That's still debatable, I guess. But, I mean, we can go back as, as far as time, you know, as far as history will allow. And, and really what, what, what the author of this book is saying is that, that when it comes to the, the big issues, when it comes to the major big topic issues, fundamental, um, you know, the fundamental issues of life, you know, technology changes, the way we do things is going to change. The way we dress and those trends and stuff, they come and go. But the, the, the main things, the primary significant issues in life, they stay what? They really do stay the same. And so what you're going to find is that we look at our generation today, and I'm burdened for, I'm burdened for our children and our grandchildren. Um... They're looking for meaning. They're looking for identity. And the world really has nothing to offer. And it breaks my heart because you see today with anxiety and mental illness and depression and suicide and 
and you see a, a whole, an entire generation that is just seems, again, I, I'm not looking at it just from a purely negative standpoint, but when we kind of take a step back and look at our culture and our, especially our young people today, it just seems like they're hopeless. Seems like they're hopeless. And so you think, you know, what is a, an ancient book written by an ancient king, you know, from what, 50, uh, probably 3,000 years ago, what in the world does that have to do with TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and all the stuff that these kids are doing, Snapchatting and all the stuff that they're doing today? It has everything to do with it. Because everything that the world is trying to offer our, our children, our young people, and, and us as well, it's get, trying to give us some purpose or meaning or significance in life, and it's leaving all of us feeling empty and wanting inside, is that we have right here in the Bible, in, the, in God's Word, we have the answer. It's timeless. God's Word transcends culture. It transcends time. It transcends every generation. It transcends all of those things, and it remains true, and it remains relevant in our world today. And that's, that's, really, that's really what I want to get at and, and try to focus in on when we think about this book, Ecclesiastes. So let's just, let's just dive in a little bit. I'm going to spend today trying to give you a little bit of a background, some introduction, some of the big picture topics that we'll get a little bit deeper into as we go along. And so what you're going to find here is the book of Ecclesiastes. So this is, in, this is right after Proverbs. Okay, so if you're flipping through your Bible, you're going through the Psalms, you get to Proverbs, then you get to the book of Ecclesiastes right before we get into uh, the Song of Solomon and then, then eventually to the Prophets. And so what this, this book is part of what we would call the wisdom literature of the Bible. Okay, wisdom literature. Again, along with Proverbs, Song of Solomon, the book of Job sometimes is kind of coupled in with that. So what we call wisdom literature. The, the, the title of the book, Ecclesiastes, is interesting because if you pick up on that, we have a Greek word for the church. Does anybody know what that is? Ecclesia. So when, when, we, when the, the authors translated the title of this book, Ecclesiastes, it's based off of this preacher or teacher in verse 1 that we find, we're introduced, okay, if you see, if you have your Bible, you can see the words of the preacher, or some of your translations may say the teacher, and this is uh, translated the kohelet, that's a Hebrew word, kohal, it comes from the Hebrew word kohal, and the reason I'm telling you all this is because that Hebrew word kohal is the same word that we get assembly or congregation or otherwise known as what? Church. It's when we all, what? Gather together. And so this book is written by someone. It's, it's given us the words of someone who is specifically teaching and talking and preaching to God's people. He's saying, hey, gather together, gather my people together, and I'm going to share with you some wisdom. And that's what this book, Ecclesiastes, is all about. Now we see here that in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, again, the words of the koholet, or he's, he's called the preacher, the teacher, okay? It says he's the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. And you'll read other commentaries and say there's some debate about who the, who the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is. I'm settled. I think it's King 
Solomon. I think it's King Solomon. And, and you know, I could go, I could spend a whole day talking about him because this guy, to me, is one of the most bizarre characters in the Bible. And just to see his life, like the wisdom, and he built the temple, and then you look up and he's got 700 wives and 300 concubines and worshiping, bringing all these false gods and idols into Jerusalem and setting up altars to all of these pagan gods. And you look at Solomon's life, you're like, man, it's a tragedy. Like, how could you go from being this? Like, apparently he didn't take his own way. Advice, like, you're so wise, man, but how are you falling off into all of this sin and idolatry and stuff? But I think what we have here in the book of Ecclesiastes, and most scholars would agree, is that after Solomon experienced life and everything, we're going to get into some of that today, all the things that he experienced, and he did it all, okay, for good or for, for, good or for bad. I think this book is his, it's almost like his reconciliation at the end of his life for him to look back on everything that he tried to accomplish and everything he tried to pursue, everything that he thought was going to give his life what? Meaning. And he was like, meaningless and I think this is his way at the end near the end of his life and most scholars would believe this is probably written by Solomon near the end of his life he he had a, a change of heart he finally came back to who he really was and before he died he was able to make these things right in his heart now it didn't erase what he did he still had consequences to his sin I mean he brought a lot of trouble to his people and his family because of the things that he did Nonetheless, I do see Solomon as one of these mysterious characters about how, I mean, how could you be so close to God and have so much wisdom and fall so far away only to come back? And I think that's kind of what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's Solomon saying, I'm coming back, Lord. I'm finally waking up to my senses. And so I think we got King Solomon in view. Now, one of the things you need to know about the book of Ecclesiastes is that you have an author of the book. Now, this is the person that actually wrote it down, right? That's probably not Solomon. But the author, he kind of gives us an introduction, and then he's going to give us kind of a summary at the end of the book. So the author is taking the words of King Solomon, and he's recording them for us. So you kind of have two voices in, in the book, and it's, it's not that confusing. The, the most important thing is you understand almost 95% of the book is are the words of what we would say King Solomon's words, okay? But then you have this other author, and we don't really know who the author was. There's, he's nameless, but he's the one that actually just wrote it down. He recorded this book for us, and I'm thankful that he did. And so we see he's King Solomon, son of David, king in, Jer in Jerusalem. And again, you're going to hear some of these common phrases, okay? You're going to hear things like meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Your, your translations may say vanity. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. I'm, I'm going to get into that a little bit later, what that really means, and it can be misunderstood, so it's important we understand what that means. I'll get into that later. Um, you hear phrases like chasing after the wind. It's a chasing after the wind. Anybody ever tried that? Good luck with that one, right? And then again, there's nothing new under the sun. So these are, these are kind of some of those phrases you'll hear repeat themselves. And there's some, there's some major themes in the book, and, and I'm, I'll get in more into detail about this in a minute, but you see that there's this 
there's this idea of this relentless march of time. You see an idea of the indiscriminate nature of suffering. It's a big one, you know. It's like, well, you got righteous people that love God and they're suffering. You got a bunch of evil people over here and they're not suffering or vice versa. So which is it? You know, is it? And, and he kind of works through some of that, you know. Well, is it really worth serving God if you're going to suffer and die like everybody else? He, he's pondering some of these big existential questions, right? And I think we should too. And so he, he, he talks about these things. He talks about the certainty of death, the fleeting or temporary nature of reality or of life. And then he talks about the simple pleasures of life. And, and we'll, we'll talk about those as well. So the search for real meaning, the search for real significance. So here's what I'm going to do. Let's just jump in. We're going to go Ecclesiastes 1. I'm going to read 11 verses. And we're going to jump around. We're going to spend some time in the first two chapters this morning. So I won't read everything, but you kind of stay with me. I'll give you a reference if I'm reading something. But let's just read the first 11 verses in the book of Ecclesiastes 1. Set some context, kind of get into the flow of the book itself. So here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Finding meaning in a meaningless world. The words of the preacher, this is the colette, right? He's somebody that gathers God's people together. And there's also maybe another implied meaning that he's somebody that gathers a lot of wisdom and knowledge together to try to understand everything from a comprehensive view. That's one way to look at it. But more than anything, he's just he's bringing all of God's people together, the assembly, the ecclesia, gathered together. This is, these are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Like I said, I believe there is uh, in view here is King Solomon. Okay? Verse 2, vanity of vanities. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Again, your, your versions may be a little bit different. Okay, meaningless is, is kind of the, the idea. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is meaningless. All is vanity. Man, that's already depressing off the start, right? This is something that you'll see. It's like if you're not careful, you'll read this and you're like, man, this is a depressing book. But, but stay with me. There's so much richness in here that you've got to get to, okay? Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil? at which he toils under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around the wind goes and on its circuits the wind returns and all the streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. In the place where the streams flow, they, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done again. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's all, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after that. So let's talk about 
I'm just going to give you four primary, main, big picture themes that we're going to really um, try to understand and, and, and grab hold of in this book of Ecclesiastes. And the first one is, is this. Everyone is chasing time. But time cannot be stopped. Everybody's chasing time. But time cannot be stopped. Let's think about time for just a second. So we are in a three-dimensional world, and some would say time is the fourth dimension, okay? So, so our universe is what's called a, a continuum. It means that everything, space, time, and matter all had to come into existence at the same what? Time, okay? In order for everything to, you know, if you have time and matter but no space, where do you put it? If you got space and matter but no time, when do you put it? You know what I'm saying? So, like, you got to you got to figure all this out. It all had to happen at the same time simultaneously. God spoke and created and everything came into being at the same time. And so we have, we are in, in this creation and we are bound by the relentless passage of time. The best, definition, the best definition of time that I've ever heard is that time is the rate of change. Simply you can measure time or you can define time simply by saying it's, it's the rate at which things what? They change. That's what time is. That's why when we think about God and his nature, God is timeless because he never what? God never changes. And so we're already dealing with something that we're trying to comprehend an infinite God, an immortal God, an everlasting God, and here we are, these humans, these created beings, and we're bound by time and its relentless passage of time and what that, how that manifests in our life on a day-to-day basis is that we become obsessed with time and we become consumed with time and we are busy, busy doing a whole bunch of nothing. And sometimes we, we wake up and 10 years have passed by and 20 years have passed by and we just feel like we've just been what? Just spinning our wheels. How many times have you looked at, you stopped looking at yourself in the mirror and say, where did the, where did the time go? Just like that. We're chasing it. We're doing everything that we can through our schedules. But the thing is, and the busyness of life and trying to manipulate time or whatever it may be, but this is this relentless nature of time and the increasing rate of time is, and it, it's moving faster and faster every single day. I can prove this to you. So when I was five years old, I, um, for some reason I always remember this. I've probably told this story before. I bore you with some of my same stories. But I can remember for some reason when I was five, and I would ask my mom every single day, Mom, when am I going to be six? I want to be six. I don't know why. Maybe it was like school or something. Maybe I could play baseball. I don't know. Mom, when am I going to be six? And I'm telling you, the year between my five-year-old birthday and my six-year-old birthday, that seemed like it lasted how long? Forever. I don't even know how old I am anymore. I can't remember my last birthday, right? You're like, how old are you? I don't 
45, 44, I don't even know anymore, right? Why is it that when you're a kid, a year seems like forever? But when you reach my age, or maybe even older than me, a year There's a reason for that, because time is relative. Let me, give you, let, me, let me explain that to you. When you're a five-year-old, one year represents 20% of your life. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of your life wrapped up in one year. When you're 50 years old, one year represents only one what? 50th, a very small fraction of your life. So literally, time is moving what? Faster, the older... You get, because the more, the longer that you live, a year becomes less and less significant. A year becomes less and less important, and it seems to pass by that much what? That much faster. And so we're living in this world where the increasing rate of time is bearing down upon us. It seems like things are speeding up and moving faster and faster. And then you add on our generation, you add on top of that the technology age that we're living in, and the instant gratification, the desire to have things now and want it now and get it now and Amazon Prime and it's on your door the next day and all that stuff, right? I mean, like, we're bound by this technology and in- information's just flowing so fast and fast and it's just like our lives, guys, are just moving so fast. And it's really hard to make it what? Slow down. But we try. We're chasing it. The book of James tells us Something important, it says, James 4, listen to this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to the city and spend a year there and carry on business. We're going to go make a profit like we got big plans, right? He says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Think about that. Now, does that mean we shouldn't make plans? No. But we should not presume of the gift tomorrow. Listen to what he says. What is your life? What is your life? What is our life? Again, you look in the mirror and you still see a 20-year-old in your eyes, but you see a 50, 60, 70-year-old in the body and you're like, who is, who is that person? I don't know who you are. Where did you go? I still think young. What is your life? You are a vapor. It's like a mist that appears a little while and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord is willing, we will live and do this or do that. And as it is, you boast in your proud intentions. All such boasting is evil. The reason I read that verse is because that passage right there is that life is but a what? A vapor. I want you to think about a cloud or a whiff of smoke. And this is going to be the theme. When you read the words in Ecclesiastes, meaninglessness or vanity... It's really a Hebrew word called hever, H-E-V-E-R, H-E-B-E-R. It's kind of a different variation, but hever. And the reason I'm telling you that, because that word literally means vapor. What is Solomon saying in Ecclesiastes? Everything is a vapor. Life is temporary. Life is like that, that puff of smoke that you can see there. It has It has substance to it. Like, you can see it. It's different than the air. It has some substance. But what happens if you try to grab that puff of smoke? There's nothing there. 
Keep that mental picture in your mind. This is what Solomon's saying. Everything in life is like this puff of smoke. It appears to be real. It appears to be there. But if you go and try to grab it, there's nothing there. It's not, there's no substance there. It's only temporary. And it's fleeting. It's ephemeral. It's passing away. This is what time is doing. And it's, again, this book can be somewhat depressing. I don't want you to be depressed, but I want you to think about what Solomon's saying here in chapter 1. Think about it. He says, listen, the generation after you, or generations after you, generations come and generations go. I want, you to, I want to ask you this question. Let me prove a point to you. Do you know the name of your great-great-great-grandmother and grandfather right now? You know it. Somebody said yes. I don't. Great-great-great-grandmother, grandfather. You might know the name of your grandparents. You probably know the names of your great-grandparents. But when it gets beyond great-grandparents, you start thinking about your great-great-grandparents or your great-great-great-grandparents. They, those people, those names have been pretty much lost to the annals of time. And guess what? I hate to, I hate to <laughs> depress you even more, but your great-great-great-grandchildren probably won't even know your name. Think about that. Now, you can look at that two ways. You can say, well, that's depressing. My life doesn't really mean anything. But that's not the way I want you to look at it. I want you to look at it in such a way that maybe if we were to live our lives in such a way that had such a big impact, that made such a difference on our children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren, that at the very least, whether they remembered our name or not, that we established a generational, uh, we established a family of generational faithfulness that was passed on to the next generation and to the next generation. Because they may not know your name in this world. You may be another name on a headstone, or you may be written in a family genealogy way back when, and you don't really know who those people are when you go back so far. But if you're a person of faith, and you pass that faith on to your children and to their children and to their children, guess what? You will get to reunite with them in heaven. And you'll get to catch up on all kind of time. All the lost time that we think we lose now, we get to make up for all of it in a place called heaven where there is no so just think about these things when you think about what it means to live in the present moment. I've heard it said before that we are bound, when we're bound by our past, that's shame. When we're worried about our future, that's fear or anxiety. What's the remedy? What's the remedy from being bound from our past or living in that place of guilt or shame and what's the remedy from being worried and anxious about our future is that he is kept in perfect peace whose mind is what fixed on him on the Lord is that we we and I fail at this so often guys but we try we should strive to live every single moment in the what present practice the presence of God I don't get it right. I fail often. 
But that, to me, is how we combat this chasing after time. Because, guys, you can keep chasing. Keep on chasing. You're never going to what? You're never going to catch it. You're never going to stop it. You're never going to slow it down. So how do, you, how do you remedy that? You live in the presence of God. You practice moment by moment being in the presence. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is the present. That's why they call it a gift. That was my sister's senior quote. That's the only reason I remember that. That's a good one though, right? So we... We can't stop time. We can try to manipulate it. We can keep trying to chase it, whatever it may be. But that's not the answer to life. We treasure every single moment. How much time have we wasted? And I'm talking about myself. Worried about what I did in the past. Beating myself up about something that I did in, in the past. Living in guilt and in shame and being depressed and being bummed out and, and beating myself up. Or worried about what's going to happen and being afraid about the, being anxious about the future. Think about all the time that we have wasted worrying about those things. When maybe right now, for this very moment, God is just saying, just take advantage of every single moment of every single day. And just try to live in the moment. And appreciate the gift of today. And so, the second thing that we see in this book is that everyone is not only are people trying to chase time, but everyone's searching for significance. But they're looking in all the wrong places. Looking in all the wrong places. Flip, flip real quick to uh, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's, just, let's look at this real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Let's learn something from Solomon. Now remember, Solomon was the man. He's the son of David. He's the king of Jerusalem. He, he had a relationship with God. He met the Lord face to face. He built the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. He's the wisest man on earth. He's the richest man on earth. I mean, if you think about it, this guy, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they got nothing on how rich Solomon was. He was so rich that silver was of no value in his kingdom. There was so much gold and so much silver that you could just see silver pieces laying on the street and they didn't even have any value because there's so much wealth. This guy had it all from a worldly perspective and let's think about it, let's listen to what he said about significance in life. Look at Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity, a vapor. Just a, just a temporary, unfulfilling vapor. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Oh, he tried drinking, intoxication. 
My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had ever been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers. He's got, man, he's got it all. Music, wine, servants. He's got it all. Wealth, riches, men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Remember, he's supposed to be the wisest man in the world. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was my reward for all of my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that had expanded in doing it. And behold, it was vanity. A chasing after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now we sit back in our lives and we look at such and such. And oh, if I could just be as rich as Elon Musk, I'd be what? I'd be happy. Man, if I could just be as beautiful as this actress or as this movie star, then I would be popular. We sit back and we, if I could just be as powerful and successful as this businessman or as talented as this person and we think if I could just only have these things or have these possessions or have this girlfriend or have this whatever, money, wealth, power, all of these things, then, then I would be happy, I would be satisfied. Hey, take it from Solomon. None of that stuff is going to make you happy. None of that stuff is going to satisfy you. None of that stuff is going to give you any type of significance. It's all vanity. So what are the things that we are looking for to meet this need that we have in our life with significance? We're trying to fill it with pleasure. We're trying to fill it with money. We're trying to fill it with work. You know, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just you know, get my recognition at work, if I could just, you know, get this next level of employment, this next career step, this next career move, then I'll be happy. And you get there. You finally get that promotion. You finally take that next step in your career. And you look around your life, and you're still not satisfied, and you're still not happy. You get, you get that extra money. You, you, you make that investment. You go chasing after the American dream and you make a little bit of money and then you want to make a little bit of more money and you talk to rich people and you say, well, how much money is enough? And they always answer the same way. Just a, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you chase recreation and you think about today and I, sorry, Malcolm, I'm, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? I, I want to watch the Cowboys play football today. Me and Malcolm, we love the Cowboys. We're cursed with the Cowboys name. And I love NFL football and blah, 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 whatever. It's all good, fun and good. But think about how many millions of people today are going to be dressed up, grown men, painting their faces, acting like a bunch of children, hooping and hollering and fighting in the stands and jumping up and down like, like mad people. That's why they call them what? Fanatics. 
And we just get lost in the idolatry of recreation and sports and entertainment. And we think, that's my, that's my identity. If I can just be part of this team, or maybe it's politics, maybe you're a, a red guy or a blue guy, and you're on the right or you're on the left, and that's your identity, that's your significance. You spend your whole life trying to prove that they're wrong and prove that we're right, and this guy's the best, and this guy's from the... De- None of that stuff matters, guys. We're trying to find significance and power or maybe it's fame or knowledge or beauty or usefulness. But all of us just are chasing after the wind. It'll always leave you wanting more. Always leave you wanting more. Never really fulfills it. The, the world offers you, and Satan is so good at this, he, he can offer you all of this stuff. And, and guys, I'm not going to pretend. Sin feels good for a season. And then payday's coming. Sin has its pleasure for a season, and then you're going to have to face the what? The consequences of sin. Satan, he's good at what he does. And so we see that The things of this world just don't satisfy. John talks about this in 1 John. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world because if anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, listen, this is what what Solomon's talking about. This is what Solomon experienced firsthand. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. Did you hear what Solomon said? He said, nothing that my eyes wanted, I was withheld from me. If I saw it, I got it. Chasing after the wind meaningless, empty. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Now listen to what he says. The world is passing away. Like a what? Vapor. Can't grab it. How many U-Hauls do you see following a hearse? What are you going to take with you, people? Nothing. You're going to leave this world the same way that you came in with nothing. We work so hard and we try so hard to, to, to get meaning and purpose out of these material possessions and all these other things that we've been talking about. But he's saying the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. Significant. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very own soul? So real significance comes from a higher calling, a higher purpose, a higher understanding of, under, of knowing who we are. I'm not going to go into all these in detail, but, but I think these are the big, basic, four existential questions that everybody has to answer. Everybody in this room needs to know. The, I want you to stay with me for just a second. If you want to know what your significance is, answer these big four questions. Number one, where do you come from? Number two, who are you? Number three, why are you here? Number four, where are you going? If you can answer those four questions, you will find what? Meaning. Significance. So what does Satan do? He gets into our public school systems and he tells our children that we came from an ape. We came from a fish 
that came from a blob of an amoeba 14.5 billion years ago that came from an accident and a mistake in a Big Bang evolutionary model, and so therefore we don't know where we came from, and therefore we have no meaning. And there's millions of kids walking around out there who don't know that we have been created by God and that we have an identity we're created in his very own image and that we have a purpose to know him, to have a what? Relationship with this creator. And we have a destiny that through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are promised eternal you see, that's significance, guys. And, and even though Solomon, he's not going to plainly lay all of these things out for us in this book, we know because of the greater context of the book and the greater context of the Bible that he's writing this to get our attention to try to help us understand, hey, guys, I've been there. I've done that. I've tried it all. Listen to me. It is not working. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. Hear me. I've done it. Learn from me. That's what Solomon's trying to help us understand. Number three is that everybody's trying to cheat death. But we can't win, y'all. Not yet. Everybody's trying to beat death. Everybody's trying to cheat death. But death is surely coming. Solomon, is, he talks a lot about this. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Look at what he said. He said, he says, I saw that there's more gain in wisdom and folly than folly, and there's more gain in light than darkness. And he goes on to say, what happens to the fool will happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart, this is also vanity, for the wise as the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that the days will come to all, will have long been forgotten how the wise die just like the fool. If you're rich or you're poor, you're both going to die. If you're famous or you're unknown, you're both going to die. If you're wise or you're foolish, you're going to die. What's the point? You see, death comes to the old and the young. It comes to the beauty and the beast. It comes to the weak and the powerful. Death is indiscriminate. It shows no partiality. It is certainly coming. And guys, we cannot beat it. Unless somebody stronger than death Beats it for us. See, the Bible says that death is in the hands of the devil. Do you know that? Hebrews 2.14, now since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Y'all catch that? Who holds the power of death? The devil. When you think about the devil, just think about death. Who he is, okay? And, and, it, and Jesus came to free us, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. This is another thing that we don't want to talk about and the world wants to cover up and ignore and try to avoid. Is that, guys, at the end of the day, I promise you, I promise you, Everybody is afraid to die. Now, as believers, I understand we have a Savior who has removed that fear from us. 
And there's still, even as a believer, I'm standing up here to you today, and I think about death, and I'm like, man, that's just weird. Like, one day you're alive, and you're animated, and you're just in this world, and the next minute it's just like, you're gone. Like, it's, I, it's bizarre to me, and I'm not saying, I, I'm not okay with it. It's like, I'm not saying I'm afraid. I'm not saying I'm worried. I know that Christ has died for me. I know where I'm going when I die. I'm, I believe that with all of my heart. He's, he's given me eternal life. I get that. But still, it's, it's, it's a messed up thing. You see, I hate it when people say, you know what, death, man, death is just a part of life. Really? There's nothing to be further from the truth. Death is the actual antithesis. Death is the absence. There's nothing natural about death. It is anti-life. And so, we understand that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He says, this is why the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And so I want to give you hope that we know Jesus who has the power of death and life. He holds the power of death and life in his hands. Why? Because Jesus, remember what I tell you, everybody in here, we're trying to cheat death, we're trying to beat death, but there's only one who ever did it. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I think I'm going to go with him. Of all the other options I have, if I'm trying to get out of this thing, I'm not going to go with Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and trying to come up with transhumanist dreams to keep us alive forever through technology. I ain't going with those guys. Because guess what? They're going to what? They're going to die too. I'm going with Jesus. Because as far as I can tell, he's the only one who ever beat death. He's the only one that's ever had the power over death and conquered the grave. And my faith is in him. And the last thing I want to share with you today, guys, and this one to me is one of the more comforting themes in the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon talks a lot about this. As we go through the book, you'll see this over and over and over again. And it's just this, and I want you to really stay with me because we've got a few more minutes and I want to I finish here. Listen to what it says. My fourth point is that everybody experiences the simple blessings of life. Now listen to me. Enjoy them while you can. Why? Because they are a gift from God. Now what you're going to see is that Solomon kind of does this back and forth, back and forth, because he's like, man, I worked hard, I did all this work, I had all this pleasure, I, I tried to fulfill myself in all of these different things, and it was all vanity, it was all chasing after the wind, it was, it was meaningless in the end, but then he'll turn around at the same time, and he'll say, but you know what is good in life? It's like to eat and drink and enjoy Simple pleasures in life, because these things are what? They're a gift from God. So what are we really getting at here? I want, I want to just hang out with me here for just a second. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, God causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now think about that for just a second. You may be the most wicked person in the world, and you get to walk out on a beautiful day like this, and you can feel the warm sun on your face. And you can go to the faucet and get a 
glass of cold water and drink it, and you may be as far away from God as anybody on the earth. Those are simple gifts and blessings from who? From God. You see, God gives what we call sometimes common grace. He's just just gracious in a sense that he gives us these simple pleasures in life for us to enjoy them, not for us to, to be... Um, pursuing pleasure, not not to go overboard in the extreme sense like Solomon did to try to get everything he could out of pleasure, out of life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the simple things. So what I'm trying to help you understand, guys, is that really the big things in life are really the what? The small things. They really are. Coming in from a hard day's work and you open the door and your little child runs up to you and just gives you a big hug. Big old hug, man. Cherish that. Sitting down with your friends and family and enjoying a well-cooked meal, like what my brother Terry can whip up any day of the week. That's one of your gifts, isn't it, my brother? It's like a hot cup of coffee on a cold winter morning. It's like feeling the warmth of the sunshine or the cool breeze or finding the shade on a hot summer day. It's the embrace of a friend. It's enjoying people's company. It's all of these little things. It's like getting a blanket and cozying up on a warm day. It's seeing the beauty in nature. It's having good health, a good night's rest, a peaceful day. It's having people to love. You have a marriage and you have a family and a wife and kids and and you go to work and you work hard and you come home and you sleep hard and you eat good and you enjoy just the simple blessings in life. And guys, let me tell you something. That's enough. If you're out there chasing all these other things and you think your life has to be all this other stuff, guys, you're missing what's really what? What really matters the most. And Solomon's trying to say, listen, these things, these simple pleasures in life, they are gifts from God. Because listen to me, you may be having a wonderful day today and you don't know that tomorrow everything may turn around. Your life may be turned upside down in a minute. So don't get confused. What Solomon is not saying, he's not saying, look, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow that you die. Go just get all the pleasure that you want because nothing really matters. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is enjoy the simple blessings in life. Appreciate these gifts from God because here's the thing. If you are living a good life, a righteous life, and you are striving to know God and you are trying to live your life for God, listen to me, that does not guarantee that you're not going to suffer or die. You see what I'm saying? You've heard the phrases, why do the good die young? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because that's life. When you look at it, you can take a step back from it and think, none of this stuff matters. None of this stuff, none of this stuff, what's the point to any of this stuff? But at the end of the day, what we understand is that even if we're living for the Lord, it does not promise that we're not going to experience pain and suffering and tragedy and death. And so while things are okay, and when you're not in the moment of tragedy and suffering and pain, what can we do? We can appreciate the simple what? The simple blessings in life. And there's something meaningful in that, guys. 
And that's what Solomon is telling us to do here. That is a life well lived. So I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. And, and what that does is I just wanted to give you guys a, to try to give you a foundation for the overall kind of theme of this book. And so here's what I want you to take away from this, okay? Because remember, this word heber, heber, it means a breath, a vapor. Everything is temporary. Everything is passing away. Everything is fleeting in this world. And so the Bible gives us a remedy for that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to listen to it as our praise team comes up. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. As you go, what are you going to do with this message? Listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Remember? Passage of time, we're getting what? We're getting older. Can't stop it. Though our outer self is wasting away, let your inner self be renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison. Now listen to what he says. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Guys, what can we do to avoid this meaningless attitude about life? We can remember that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And we fix our eyes on that eternity. Because listen, what is Paul saying? He's saying what we are waiting for in eternity is more real than what I see right here in front of me right now. Think about that for just a second. He's saying what we see right now in front of us, what we can touch with our hands and get and identify with our senses, those things are temporary and they're less real than what we can't what? Than we, what we can't see. And so when we keep our hearts and our minds fixed on the eternal perspective, that gives us so much meaning, so much to look forward to, so much significance. So I want to pray for us, guys, and we're going to sing one more song together. And so if you're here today and maybe you need to talk to somebody, maybe this message has resonated with you in such a way, I'm always here after the service. We have other people that are here free to counsel, free to talk to you. But wherever it is that you need to do right now to think about what God is speaking to your heart right now, just do business with him today as we sing this final song together. So let's bow together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your blessings and your, your simple gifts in life, God. Help us not to take those things for granted because we often fail to appreciate, Lord, how good you are and how these gifts in our life, Lord, are true blessings. And I just pray for our people, Lord, that we would put our hope and trust in you and our faith in you, God, as we, as we look not to what is seen but what is unseen, Lord, and that we, our hearts would be so fixed on the eternal, God, that it would be like, like we're already there with you, Lord, that, that we would have such a confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we would not fear death, we would not fear the struggles of this life, Lord, and that we would find purpose and meaning in our relationship with you more than anything else. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Guys, let's stand together as we finish the worship.